Think of all the decisions the two of you face in any given month. Think of all the ramifications of those decisions. If you buy the washer, then you can't take the trip. If you can't take the trip, then you'll miss out on some desperately needed family time. Besides, the trip would get you out of that bind of having to coach again this summer. But the washer is broken, and what are you going to do? If you change jobs, then your new insurance won't cover the surgery your son needs. If you quit the job that is killing you to look for another, it could be months, maybe a year, before you find another. And on and on it goes. It feels like a setup every time you have to make a decision. Tick, 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 boom. I'm Alan Arnold, and I'm reading from a chapter in the book Love and War by John and Stacey Eldridge. Today we're going into part four of our series. We're going to talk about why is marriage so hard? The value of learning how to crawl, walk, and run in the decisions we make, and the immense importance of listening prayer. In today's session, John and Stacy will be reading from chapter eight of their book, Love and War. The title is Back to Back with Swords Drawn. One can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. Deuteronomy 32, 30. We've covered a lot of ground so far in this book, and we should pause for a moment and review, catch our breath, climb back up to the top of the hill and have a look around. You can get lost down there in the forest, even though the trees are really beautiful. So let's get our bearings. You and your spouse live in a love story that is set in the midst of a very real war. God gave us marriage, both as a picture of his love to the world and because we are going to need each other. We are not playing house. We are living in an epic love story. Your marriage is a perfect storm because your brokenness and sin collide in devastating precision with your spouses. Yet God is in that because he is using your marriage to transform you. When it comes to love and happiness, we are broken cups. We will put untold amounts of pressure on our marriage until we realize that God is the waterfall. He is the love we are looking for. The greatest gift you can give your spouse and everyone else in your life is to have a real relationship with God. If you have to choose between companionship or eros, go with companionship. It is the bedrock of a marriage. You have an enemy, and it is not your spouse. The sooner you come to terms with the fact, the better. God has rigged the world for adventure. You have a mission, your spouse has a mission, and your marriage has a mission. We are sobered simply writing this little review. Knowing as we do something of the reality of these truths, just saying them again has the same effect as what you feel when a smoke alarm goes off in your house or the police call to say, we have your son, or when you push off in a canoe down an unknown river. And now you understand why God gave us prayer. If all this does not drive you to prayer, we don't know what will. Why is it so hard? A few months ago, we asked four couples, whose opinions we deeply respect, over for an evening to get their thoughts and reactions to some of the issues we're addressing in this book. 
We did our own little Gallup poll of fairly healthy marriages. We asked them about prayer, how and when they pray together as a couple. They looked sheepish. No one responded. They looked guilty, like the dog does when he comes back from the neighborhood romp. I was surprised. These are strong marriages, people who understand the nature of the world in which we live. It confirmed a fear I had. People don't pray much. Rather, couples don't pray much together. And why is that? Yet again, this might come as an encouragement. It's not just you. For one thing, you have an enemy. He does not want the two of you building a united front, certainly not in prayer of all things. It is far too threatening. I mean, prayer works, and he knows it. So he will do what he can to prevent it. You set aside a time to pray, and suddenly the phone rings. The cat hacks up a hairball on your bed. The kids burst into a fight, or the two of you do. Back in the 10th year of our marriage, after we had walked to the brink of divorce that second time, we decided it was time to take prayer seriously. We went upstairs, closed our bedroom door, and began to pray, really pray. We heard a thud, then a scream. Downstairs, Blaine had broken his arm. Good grief, how blatant does it get? More often what happens when you try to pray together is that suddenly you feel irritated at one another for no apparent reason or for every possible reason. Reasons you forgot all about suddenly return in a parade or you are at a loss for words. You feel stupid. You wonder if it's even going to work. Suddenly you're hungry. You start thinking about dinner or you remember you forgot to take the clothes out of the washer and put them in the dryer. And if you don't do it now, you won't have that top to wear tomorrow. Isn't all this just a little too obvious? Now that you realize the source of the distraction, Satan, your enemy, or one of his deputies, you are better prepared to recognize it and push through it. But there are other reasons why couples find it hard to make prayer together happen in any sort of consistent way. Prayer is such an intimate act, a place of vulnerability. It is, hopefully, when we are our least guarded, our most honest selves, And this is good, of course. This is as it ought to be. When we come to God, we certainly want to come as honestly and openly as we can. We want to be our truest selves before Him. Prayer lets us be in a place of need. Now, when we are alone, this vulnerability can feel quite relieving. It feels good to drop our guard. But when we come together to pray, yikes, most couples are not nearly so vulnerable with each other. We have our guard up most of the time. We might not have known it, but we sure feel it when we take up praying together. It feels awkward, vulnerable, and that is very, very good. If we can drop our guard here, the two of us looking at God, then we might just get to the place where we can drop our guard when we are looking at each other. Praying together is an intimate encounter It will cultivate intimacy and companionship in your marriage. We are in this together. It's like sex. And this is why we don't recommend that singles pray intimately with a member of the opposite sex. Early in a dating relationship, it is not a good idea. It drops you suddenly into a deep level of intimacy. Hot tubs do the same thing. Prayer brings us to a place of nakedness. And within marriage, that is a beautiful thing. It might feel awkward, especially as you start out. Courage, friends. 
this is worth it. Crawl, walk, run. Nobody is asking you to become Mother Teresa here. You are not being called up to become Benedictines. If all the two of you do is simply invite Jesus into your lives, into the moment and the issue at hand, whatever it is, that would be wonderful. Really, here I am. I stand at the door and knock, Jesus said. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Revelation 3, verse 20. For heaven's sake, answer the door. Let him in. We will be wrestling with a decision or trying to sort through our finances or worrying, again, about our sons, and one of us will just stop and pray, Jesus, come into this. We invite you into this. We need your help, Lord. Show us the way. Right then, right there, in the moment, simply pray, Jesus, come and be the Lord of our marriage, the Lord of our home. This will do great good. Inviting God in changes everything. Maybe not immediately, not to your eyes anyway, but it is a really good beginning. Jesus said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. Matthew 13, verse 11. One of those secrets is this. The entire spiritual realm works on authority. Just like all the kingdoms do in fairy tales, they get all their good ideas from the gospel. Adam and Eve were given authority over the earth to rule and subdue. But they forfeited that authority and the devil became the usurping prince of this world. Through his cross, Jesus cast the dark prince down. And after his resurrection, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Matthew 28, verse 18. Authority was given, lost, and recovered. Now, for the purposes of the great invasion, in order to carry on in his stead, Jesus shares his authority with us. He says, I have given you authority to overcome all the power of the evil one. Luke 10, 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. The Gospel of Matthew. That is why we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. It means by the authority of Jesus. So, when a husband and wife unite together in prayer in the name of Jesus, it is powerful indeed, more powerful than Adam and Eve ruling before the fall. If two of you agree is another one of those secrets of the kingdom, and this is even more effective when the two are husband and wife, the kingdom of darkness trembles when a husband and wife stand together in prayer. And guys, I think it will really help us as men to engage in prayer when we see it not as something soft and feminine, but as battle. You have a warrior heart within you. It needs a place to express itself. A lot of guys shrink back from prayer because it feels churchy or something they are not spiritual enough for. But in your kingdom, you are the man. And when you take a stand in prayer, not only does the enemy cower, but the warrior in you awakens. Get a few victories under your belt. You'll begin to love it. We understand there are many marriages that feel more divided than they feel united right now. 
Your spouse might not be following Christ as you are. They may not be a believer at all. Do not despair, for the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14. Your personal holiness and your walk with God has a powerful effect within your marriage. When it comes to prayer, you still have a great deal of authority. Nevertheless, what you want to secure is a united front. Thinking back to the fairy tales, we want the king and queen to be as one when it comes to ruling the kingdom. Listening Prayer Making decisions is probably the number one source of stress, tension, anxiety, pouting, manipulation, and argument in a marriage. Isn't it true? Well, okay, there is money and your family and his parents, but you have to make decisions about money and family and parents. So I still argue that decision-making is the mother of all marital strife. As soon as Stacy says, Honey, we need to decide, anxiety leaps from within. Auga! Auga! All hands on deck! We have just entered mind-filled waters. So, we want to offer you what might be the single most helpful thing anyone has ever offered you when it comes to your marriage. Drumroll, please. Are you just waiting to hear what it is? Learning to hear the voice of God together. Yep, it is the simplest, most helpful, least practiced treasure, and it will literally rescue the two of you in countless ways. The secret of the Christian life and the Christian marriage is that you don't have to figure it out. You don't have to figure life out. You don't have to figure each other out. You don't have to figure parenting out or money or family. You have a counselor. You have a guide. You have God. What a relief that we don't have to figure it all out. We get to walk with God. That is the beauty of Christian spirituality. This is not about mastering principles. It's about an actual relationship with an actual person who happens to be the wisest, kindest, and, okay, wildest person you will ever know. If you know the father of Einstein, ask his help on the science quiz, for heaven's sake. Think of all the decisions the two of you face in a month. Think of all the ramifications of those decisions. If you buy the washer, then you can't take the trip. If you can't take the trip, then you'll miss out on some desperately needed family time. Besides, the trip would get you out of the bind of having to coach again this summer. But the washer is broken, and what are you going to do? If you change jobs, then your new insurance won't cover the surgery your son needs. If you quit the job that is killing you to look for another, then it could be months, maybe a year before you find another. If you tell your parents they can't come for Christmas, then you will pay for a long time but you are exhausted and you will pay for a long time if they do come. All the decisions, it gets overwhelming. This has got to be the number one source of tension any couple faces. You both have your opinions, your ways of approaching life, and they are almost always at odds. It feels like a setup every time you have to make a decision. Tick, 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 boom. 
Winter holds on to Colorado for close to seven months every year. Seven months. The cold and snow start in the middle of October and hang on until the beginning of May, like a Narnian winter, though we get Christmas. So you can understand that we look forward to spring break with a great deal of longing and desire. By mid-March, we are usually trying to run away to some warm place for a week if we can pull it off. It doesn't really matter where, so long as it's warm. Last year, Stacy was giving a women's retreat at the beginning of spring break. I was ticked. How did we let this happen? Who was watching the calendar? We lost several precious days of spring break. The closest and cheapest warm spot was Palm Springs, California. I began to scramble to pull it off. Now, several ruined vacations have humbled me to the place where I now stop and ask God for guidance and counsel before I plan a trip. This was a couple of months beforehand, and I felt that God was saying, rent a house. Rent a house? Really? That sounded too much to me. There are plenty of good hotels. I balked. He replied, rent a house. So I get on the internet and try to look up houses, and it was overwhelming. There are a thousand and one houses on the internet. Who can you really trust? And was that even God? I got overwhelmed and booked a hotel. And it was a disaster. Stacy was absolutely exhausted. She desperately needed rest, comfort, peace, and quiet. The hotel turned out to be a dive, the room as gross as a frat house basement, and it was spring break at a cheap hotel, as far from peace and quiet as Mardi Gras is from midnight mass. It was a disaster. She was in tears, and I was feeling like an idiot. I went into the bathroom to pray. God, you told me. You told me, and I didn't listen. Forgive me. Redeem this. Show me what to do. I got on the internet, and God rescued us. We ended up renting a house for the last few days of the trip, and it was exactly what we needed. Peace and quiet, sunshine and warmth, just what the doctor ordered. Because I finally listened to God. We used to approach decision-making like two countries negotiating an armistice. You know how this goes. First, you take a read to see where your spouse is at. Maybe fly the idea by as a casual suggestion just to test what their reaction would be. Nursing homes are so expensive. Did you hear that Dawn and Maggie just decided to have her mom move in with them? Pretend it's not a big deal. Hold your cards close and watch their expression, like a high-stakes poker game. Other times, you know what you want and you simply demand it. We did what you wanted last time. Which might be fair enough, but it doesn't make your will in this matter the right decision. It's just your turn. If you are not in agreement, somebody has to yield, and more often than not, that person ends up feeling a little resentful of the fact. We often overlook the greatest help we could have. The third strand of the cord, meaning you have God. (laughs) Good grief. Take advantage of the fact. Learning to listen. It is not even Christmas time, but I keep hearing songs on the radio that are singing about Emmanuel, God with us. Today, I really listened, and I remembered, oh, yes, God is with us, with me. Right now, he was trying to get my attention in order to remind me of his constant presence in my life. 
He is here, right now. I can take a deep breath and lean into his love. God wants an intimate relationship with us. He is not a God who is far away. He is the God who has made us his dwelling place. We are the temple of the Lord. When by faith we confess Jesus is Lord, he comes and makes his home in us. He could not be any closer. To talk to God, we don't have to shout. For the creator of the universe to hear us, we don't have to yell. Rather, to speak with him, we quiet ourselves. He is our breath. He is in every heartbeat. He tells us, be still and know that I am God. Psalms 46, verse 10. In the same way, for us to hear him, we need to settle down, to quiet ourselves, and to listen. John wrote a wonderful book on learning to hear the voice of God, so we will not cover here everything he said there. You'll want to read that book together. It's called Walking with God. We also like Dallas Willard's book, Hearing God, and Leanne Payne's Listening Prayer. But let's review the basics. God speaks to his people. It is normal. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. In the Gospel of John, Jesus describes himself as a good shepherd and we, his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. John 10, 16. How do the sheep follow their shepherd? because they hear his voice. Later, the risen Christ is speaking to the church when he says he is knocking at our door. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Revelations 3.20, Jesus said that we hear his voice. Then you have all those stories of God talking to his people in the Bible and all those stories down through church history of God talking to his people. Add to that the thousands of stories you could gather right now, today, from one church of how God has been talking to his people. It's a real stretch to say he does not talk to us anymore or that he doesn't talk to you. It takes the kind of reasoning that leads folks to construct elaborate theories that the lunar landing didn't really take place or that the government is holding aliens in Area 51. Think of it this way. Eve is made in the image of God, right? then we should not be surprised that God loves to talk. But most of us approach prayer like making a speech. We say what we have to say, sort of rattle off the list of requests, and then that's it. We walk away, done. We don't even give him a chance to reply. Can you imagine doing this to your spouse? Well, actually, many of you do do this to your spouse. And how does that turn out usually? Prayer is meant to be a conversation. God wants to speak to us. To live in an intimate, conversational relationship with God is the normal Christian life. It is so important that we learn to listen to what God is saying. He never tires of speaking with us to us. He wants to. What a great gift that we get to walk with Christ every moment of our lives, talk with him, ask for his guidance, listen to his love learning to ask God for his counsel, learning to listen for his voice has absolutely revolutionized our lives. 
It has lifted untold amounts of pressure and brought unhoped-for amounts of joy. We could tell you hundreds of stories like the one about the house in Palm Springs, maybe a thousand by now. My goodness, this ought to be essential for every premarital counseling program offered. But we've never heard of one that teaches couples how to listen to God as the primary way of making decisions. It's like setting out on your first expedition to Antarctica. Even though you have never been there and your uncle has been there a dozen times, you don't call him to ask for his advice. You wait until you are stranded on an ice floe, at which point it may be hard to reach him. Bringing God in. Last night, about 10 o'clock, Blaine walked into the living room where Stacy and I were talking. He announces that he and some buddies want to go snowboarding tomorrow. We're leaving at 6 a.m. Can I drive? Is that okay? Stacy and I both know the best way to handle this. Uh, give us a second, Tiger. He knows we mean leave us for a few moments so we can sort this out. You don't want the added pressure of him standing there watching the two of you play UN negotiations. Quite often what happens is your child will try to play one parent off the other. Mom said it was okay last time. Buy yourself some breathing room, even if it's only for three minutes. Then we use that time to check in with Jesus, both of us, personally. Internally, we are asking, Lord, what do you think? Is this okay? Are they safe? We just get quiet and ask the Lord what he is saying. Sometimes we have an impression a sense of what God is speaking, sometimes we'll hear his voice internally, for that is where Christ dwells now, in our hearts. Sometimes we have a bad feeling about a situation. Now, that might be God, but it might just be our fears, too. So what we find we have to do is surrender all our thoughts, all our fears, all our desires to Jesus. We yield to his guidance. It even helps to pray that, Jesus I give you all my thoughts about this, my fears, I trust you. What are you saying? Because we've been practicing this for several years, and it does take some practice, it's not uncommon for us to discern what God is saying in the moment. I turn to Stacy with my eyebrows raised, meaning, what did you hear? I want to respect her in the decision. She says, I think it's okay. I do too. The beauty of this simple act is that it avoids so much unnecessary wrangling, negotiating, and gallons of emotional energy. Now, what if we hear different things? That happens too. I heard yes. Well, I heard no. The first thing we do is stop and ask again, Lord, we're not sure what you're saying. Make it clear to us. We bind away all confusion, and we silence every other voice. For there are other voices, as you well know. Sometimes it helps to order them to be silent. Then we listen again. About half the time, one of us comes around to agreement. Okay, now I'm hearing yes. I think I was just letting my own fears get in the way. But half the time, we don't hear what the other is hearing. Okay, to make sure you're following the math, what I'm saying is that half the time when we stop to listen together, we come to agreement pretty quickly. Half the time we are not in agreement, and we have to sort out why we're not. We stop and pray again. We also do an internal check to make sure we are really yielded to God. You have to surrender your agenda. Otherwise, the whole act is a charade. Sure, hon, we can pray about this, but I'm not going to yield my position. 
you will find it really hard to hear from God until you let go your rights and your agenda. Besides, you want to know what God thinks. For heaven's sakes, he's a little bit smarter than you. He sees all the pieces you don't see. We take a few more minutes to pray and get clarity. Lord, what's up? What are you saying? Of those stories, about half the time, one of us ends up realigning when we push further into prayer and we find an agreement, which means that only 25% of all our attempts to walk with God together end up without a clear unity. That's pretty good. I mean, it's a heck of a lot better record than most couples reach when they just try to wrangle through decisions without God. Okay, so what about that 25%? How do we handle that? The way we sort it through depends on the weight of the matter. If we're talking small potatoes like, can I drive tomorrow? We just defer to wisdom. Or if one of us has a strong opinion about it, we try to respect that and go with it. Heck, toss a coin. It's better than making a federal case out of it. But on weightier matters, you want to give the process the respect it deserves. It might be weighty because there is a lot at stake, hun. I'm thinking about changing jobs. It might be weighty because one of you is deeply emotionally invested. I'd really like to invite my parents for Thanksgiving. Are you okay with that? What's so good about praying over stuff like this is that it centers you both back in Christ. Maybe you don't like your parents. It would be good for you to talk to Jesus about that. Maybe you're afraid of change and you worry about money. It would be good for you to talk to Jesus about that. If it's a matter that's really important to us, what we'll often do is say, let's sleep on it, pray about it some more on our own, and talk about it in a day or two. Clear the air. Take the pressure off. You will find that quite often, once the pressure has been lifted, you do get a sense of what God is saying. God can get through to us by any means he chooses. Sometimes we hear his voice. Sometimes the answer comes days later as we are reading scripture. Sometimes it comes through the counsel of a friend or pastor. Sometimes he just changes our heart on a matter, and it's no longer an issue. Just keep your eyes and ears open to all the ways God is speaking to you. You can practice listening prayer in matters of deep conflict, but we wouldn't recommend starting there. If you are new to hearing the voice of God, it's really hard to hear when there is a lot on the line and emotions are running high. But the point is, you can avoid a lot of conflict if both of you are willing to yield to God. This helps protect your dignity, too, both of you, because you are not being asked to give way to his or her agenda. You are submitting to God. Knee-jerk reactions sabotage communication. If it doesn't bring on a fight, it makes something in your spouse shut down. I'm not going to bring this up again holding your ground on some pick-a-uni issue simply because your partner won last time isn't exactly helpful either. You look foolish, and it tends to make people dismiss you when you really do have something to say. You lose credibility. There she goes again. Letting emotions guide you is dangerous. Trying to figure things out on your own can be exasperating. Why in the world would you want to try this without God? Yes, This can be a little awkward at first, but so is making love, talking about old relationships, saying, I'm sorry. Don't let the awkwardness be a reason to give it up. It comes back to what story you think you're living in. 
if you are still operating from the happiness view of the world, you are going to cling to your agenda and negotiate, intimidate, manipulate, and otherwise make a fool of yourself while doing damage to your marriage. If you are living in the larger story of God, this dangerous tale of love and war, then you are going to turn to God as a matter of first choice every time. A hundred surprises. I gave a talk on learning to hear the voice of God to a group of youth pastors. Afterward, there was a book signing. I'm standing at my table, feeling a little bit like some guy selling Florida swampland, hoping that I don't stand here and no one comes up when a man finally approached the table. I don't need a book signed, he says. I try to keep a smile like it's no big deal, and I say, that's okay. But he goes right on to say, but I want to tell you a story. I'd love to hear it. He looks right and left, sort of like, you're not going to believe this. So, I'm sitting here listening to your talk and not real sure what I think about the whole thing. Then you invite us to listen to God. I nod, eager to hear what happened for him, but also sort of dreading that nothing happened and he's here to tell me that God doesn't speak to him. Too many dear people have come to that conclusion because of a bad experience or because no one has helped them learn how to hear. Look, I'm not a mystic, he says. I smile, but I'm thinking, since when did hearing God's voice become something reserved for mystics? But I decided to give it a try, he continues. So I quiet down and just sit there. After a minute or so, I ask God, what do you want to say to me? And what I hear is this, take Janet to St. John. Janet's my wife, he explains, and I think, well, that's a relief. We've been wanting to take a trip together for a long time, but we haven't been able to pull it off. Anyhow, that's what I hear. Take Janet to St. John. I'm thinking that's the end of the story. So I say, well, she's going to be delighted to hear that. He says, no, the story's not over. After you end the talk, everybody's getting up to go to lunch. I turn to the guy next to me. We didn't come together or anything. And I tell him, God told me to take my wife to St. John. The way he tells this part of the story is in the spirit of, yeah, right. Can you believe it? What am I supposed to do with that? I simply listen. And this guy says to me, well, I have been holding two tickets to St. John for a year, and God has told me that they are not for me, that I'm to give them to someone else. So there you go. I have your tickets. Needless to say, Mr. I'm not much of a mystic became a believer in hearing the voice of God. And you know what? This is actually pretty normal for the Christian life. Over the years, we've heard a jigawillion stories like that. Ordinary folks learning to listen for the voice of God and how he blesses them for doing so. God loves to speak. He loves to surprise us. And he has hundreds of adventures in store. So, ask him. You've been listening to John and Stacey Eldridge read from their book, Love and War. I hope that you'll join us next week for part five. And in the meantime, there's a question that it would be good to just sit and ponder. This is more for self-reflection than it is for a conversation back and forth with a spouse, perhaps. And it is this, God, what are you showing me through marriage about my story, about who I am, about what I believe in you, and about the limitations of what I have put 
on my marriage? If you will ask God those questions, he will be faithful to respond and engage. And if you're not married, and I know many of our listeners are not, then this is just a good time to go to God with the desires of your heart. He's faithful, he listens, and he is a good, good father. So bring those thoughts, those desires, those fears, those unknown questions to him in that area and see what he has to say to you. I'm Alan Arnold, and you've been listening to the Ransom Heart Podcast.